to Z, a flavor odyssey. And the Odyssey continues. What's up, Dojo Nation? Welcome to another episode of Flavor Odyssey. I'm your host, Robbie Raz. It's our co-host, Randy Griggs. Coming to you from Lot B, a cigar dojo studio. And, Randy, brought to you by the lovely people at Drew Estate. Indeed. Indeed. Drew Estate Cigars. The rebirth of cigars. The rebirth of cigars. Yeah. I always liked that that tagline. I always thought it's that was kind of cool. Yeah. Because it kind of gives you an idea of, you know, we're bringing it back. There's like some some cool stuff and we're bringing it back. Yeah. And, and at, the, at the time, you know, I think you and I have uh, had conversations making parallels in beer. I think at, at the time, um, what was available out there, I think they were doing something very cutting edge and new uh, mm. as they were coming out with that. So yeah, absolutely. Very fitting, I believe. And uh, Randy, we're actually featuring, featuring <clears throat> I'm going to learn how to talk today, featuring a new... Uh, not a new cigar from Drew Estate, but uh, there's some new uh, availability levels of the cigar. Yes, actually. yes, because it is uh, episode P, correct? It is episode P. All right. As in problematic? I was thinking poinsettias. I don't know why. You were thinking of what? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we just finished up with the holidays. It sounded like you said poinsettias and quinceañeras and made it into one word. Huh, did I get <laughs> it wrong? <laughs> They're poinsettias. They're not poinsettias? <laughs> See? Poinsettias, quinceañeras. It made it into one word. I'll be darned. <laughs> po- poinsettias. This is fantastic. <laughs> we are off to a phenomenal, phenomenal start. It, uh, it is episode P, Randy. Um, and P, in this instance, stands for Pappy. As the uh, Pappy Van Winkle uh, Family Reserve is the cigar that we're smoking from Drew Estate today. Mm-hmm. And is in Porter. Randy, the style Indeed. of beer, I haven't even opened my beer yet, the style of beer that we are uh, featuring today. Well, fantastic. I have the... Uh, there it is. Thank you. The bottle opener right this, there. This all happened. This all, it all just came together so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. It all just came together so quickly. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we are going to be featuring um, Sierra Nevada's Porter um, based on some feedback we've gotten through many shows. As, um, as we know, it's going to be somewhat tough to keep with beers that everyone can find uh, around the country um we have had some that have had more limited distribution recently and so we wanted to kind of come back to um an important uh show to uh have a a beer that everyone should be able to find in all 50 states actually yeah this uh, sierra nevada is definitely um a beer that you can find pretty much everywhere and this was actually packaged like three weeks ago well, you don't have to rub it in. We live a little closer than most. So. Yeah, that's kind of amazing. <laughs> so, Randy, we didn't really talk about this, and we're gonna. I'm gonna f- fire a question at you, off uh, off the books here before we get started. All right. the The bottle here says uh, Sierra Nevada Porter, and yep. underneath that it says bottle conditioned. Ah. And I know that's bottle conditioning. Is uh, why don't you tell us what bottle conditioning is? Sure. So, um, beer as we know it is a carbonated barley-based beverage and to that get was an alliteration and to get the carbonation uh you can go a couple different ways uh what's most prominently uh, used as a technique to carbonate liquid is literally just to force uh pure uh carbon dioxide in through a diffusion stone so those stones will often be made um uh, out of either porcelain or uh a stainless alloy um it's like you, what you'd see in a fish tank it's creating all the bubbles and so uh, uh, 
uh, bright beer tank in a brewery has a big one like this and you can force beer um, the co2 in carbonate that way um, so there's this whole debate on whether there's a difference but some would tell you that natural carbonation coming from uh, bottle conditioning would give you tighter bubbles and a thicker moosier head so bottle conditioning means that after the beer's already been filtered and the yeast has been removed from it a small amount of yeast and a small amount of uh, corn sugar would be added to the the still beer the uncarbonated um, beer as it goes into the bottles and lets a small fermentation take place in the bottle uh, this is going to uh, have the yeast consume the oxygen that's left in the bottle so it also um, enhances shelf stability by eating up all that oxygen it um, and then it carbonates naturally that way uh, the the one kind of uh, thing that people don't love about bottle conditioning is it will often leave a small residue mm. of the yeast on the bottom once they're done eating the sugar that was added they go dormant again fall out of solution and become sediment at the bottom but it, it does typically um, it is it's debated but most people will acknowledge that you get a tighter uh, kind of more natural um, carbonation from that method so that's why usually when you go with like a uh, a lot of craft beers are going to be bottle conditions if, if they're in the bottle and you kind of leave a little bit of that uh, beer at the bottom and you pour that last bit out it's kind of Got some chunkies in it, maybe a little yeah. sediment in there. Yeah, you should that, decant off that. Maybe leave a. That does last the sediment impact in. flavor at all? No, it, it's just it can, kind of off-putting. Maybe? It can it can muddle flavor in larger amounts. Like you mm. just drank that one ounce all by itself. If you pour it in with the other eleven ounces of beer, I would say absolutely nothing. Okay, now I'm gonna ask a really stupid question. Okay. Can you bottle condition in a can? Sure, you can. You can. Sure, <laughs> you uh, can. Well, the the only thing is, is for the yeast to reproduce and to become a colony large enough to consume the sugar, it does need that oxygen. So maybe you couldn't just because a can, you're not leaving any oxygen there. Yeah. And so they might not have enough oxygen to really rise to the occasion and, and do um, do the work. So it, it, it may be a limiting factor. It's not factor. really a, it it's probably be, not no. a common practice. No, no. I've never heard of can conditioning. No. <laughs> um, anyway, that was uh, kind of off off uh, the cuff there because I didn't realize. And usually, when a bot when a beer is bottle conditioned, it's not part of the uh, highlight. It's not highlighted. Pardon me, um, on the front of the bottle. And I mean, it's right there. It's actually got a little banner behind it. It says bottle condition. Yeah. No. The um, the the beers that are most typically known for that, like Duvel, mm -hmm. uh, Belgians, you know, uh, especially when they come in a in like a corking cage finished bottle, you know, that type of presentation will often call for bottle conditioning. Maybe you'll see it called out a little bit more there, but on standard American craft beers, no, you're right. You don't really see it called out. Cork and cage sounds like a good name for a punk band. All right. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, <clears throat> so uh, let's get into uh, the, the cigar here that we're smoking a little bit. So this is the Pappy Van Winkle Family Reserve from Drew Estate. There's two different versions of the Pappy Van Winkle cigar from Drew Estate. There is the uh, Tradition, which has a red band on it, and it is uh, there's no uh, barrel age, no barrel aging. There's no fire cured tobacco or, any, or anything like that. Um, this uh, Family Reserve, however, which debuted in 2015, 
features as we can we'll show it on the uh the sexy photo there but this actually has two wrappers on it <clears throat> this wrapper at the top uh and for those of you listening in on podcast the the, the wrapper at the top of this cigar is very very dark the head super of the super yeah at the, I, I, I thank you at the at the cap if yes. you will yes. but it's more than just the cap it mm. is super super dark now that is the fire cured and barrel fermented tobacco the <clears throat> and just underneath the band the the wrapper gets much lighter in color, and that is Mexican San Andreas, mm-hmm. which is kind of it. It looks super light for a Mexican San Andreas to me. Yeah. And we actually did some try to do some research because I figured that if the Mexican San Andreas would be the top one because right. it's normally this color. Yeah. But um, I reached out to uh, to my buddy On, who's a brand manager over at uh, Drew Estate, and he set me straight. Mm-hmm. That rhymed. <laughs> and let me know that 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 top. Uh, this top part is the is the um, the barrel aged tobacco, and Kentucky fire cured. It's Kentucky aged. Kentucky fire cured and barrel aged, and it's actually treated in a perique process. Mm. Randy, are you familiar with perique? I at all? Ha- am not. Can you please elaborate? Are, are you a pipe smoker? I'm not. Uh, pipe smokers um, know all about uh, perique tobacco. Oh, really? Yeah. It, it's a much more um, common. It is. is. Uh, So, so basically, this is the it's fire cured and barrel fermented, and it's all done in Louisiana. Apparently, I didn't know that. Uh, So they're they're using whiskey barrels, and it's perique processed. And basically, what that means is that you take you basically load up a barrel with tobacco, and you apply pressure and water, which causes it to ferment. So that causes your fermentation. So it's fermented under pressure. And that is, um, that's a perique process. It can't really be called um, perique. It's perique processed. It can't be called perique tobacco because it's not done in a specific region. Much like if a Belgian beer is produced in the U.S., it's a Belgian style. Or Kolsch is probably the best example. If it's created anywhere out of sight of the cathedral, it's a Kolsch Kolsch style ale. The cathedral in Köln. Indeed. Indeed. (laughs) Uh, Did you live there? Uh, <laughs> no, only visited. I, I visited there, and uh, <laughs> we were staying in a, a, a kind of a questionable part of town. Oh. And this was on my fortieth uh, birthday. We went through. Um, we ended up at uh, Oktoberfest, and I've told this story many times. But uh, part of the deal was I wanted to drink all these different styles of beer, and so we we stayed in uh, Cologne, and we took a cab ride back. Our first night there, after cruising around the town. And we told our cab driver where we were staying, and, and he was he didn't really know what the place was called. He didn't know the name, and then he looked it up. He's like, oh, that used to be a flop house. Nice. <laughs> and if oh, you don't know what a drug den on the other side. Yeah, if you don't know what a flop house is, <laughs> oh, as I break the microphone here, if you don't know what a flop house is, go ahead and look it up. It's a family show. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that, that was good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, Parikh, uh Parique processed tobacco. It's kind of a dying style of uh, of tobacco, and it's mainly used, like I said, in uh, pipe tobacco mixtures and in some cigarettes as well. So this does have that fire cured tobacco in it, like the KFC, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And Randy, when we opened these cigars up out of the box, fresh out of the box, and uh, took the took the the cello wrappers off. And I was—I just took a sniff because I was trying to figure out which one was which. And I was like, "Whoa!" I was totally blown away by the smell. It is smoky. It—it's it pungent. Smoky, it's very, yeah. very pungent. But when you smoke it, it's not as overpowering 
as you think it's going to be uh, to start with. It's still there. Yeah. It's there's a lot of uh, fire cured flavor in there, and there's that the barrel age aspect does add some sweetness to it. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the 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 main thing I get from fire cured tobacco is that kind of barbecue like saltiness, mm. and I'm not getting that from this. So okay. it is tempered a bit. Okay. Uh, in my opinion. Yeah. No. I I think um, in all. Uh, things that are smoked that I've imbibed in, whether it be uh, smoked meats or smoked beers, um, it's pretty common that the aromatics um, uh, are uh, more extreme than the actual flavor experience. Um, That being said, it is smoky, Mm. uh, and I taste the smoky. You're right. It does not have um, that barbecue salty character, and there is some sweetness coming from the tobacco and and potentially the the barrel aging um, that... um, Kind of makes that a little, it moderates that a little bit, tempers it, as you said. Um, something I thought was kind of interesting was I had not heard of this, um, the Family Reserve. And as you said, it was just in October of this year. Um, I hadn't that, said that yet. Oh, pardon but me. We're, we're, no, we're, no, go ahead. We'll get there. It's, it's, so it's, it is now, um, <clears throat> initially when this cigar is released in 2015, right. it was, uh, and up until this past October, was available only at pappyco.com. Right. So it wasn't distributed um, to your local B&M or anywhere that you know carries Drew Estate stuff. That's right. It was only on their website. Mm-hmm. Now it is available at uh, all Drew Diplomat uh, retailers. Uh, retailers. Right. I, I shouldn't say it's available at all of them. They all have the op- the option to carry it. Right. 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 I don't think they, they force them to carry it. It's no. just and it's limited. So yeah. even if they want to, I don't know if they can yeah not all everybody's carry it all it, year exactly. or anything. And uh, there is a new size. There is a new size. So what I was going to say, though, that surprised me that I hadn't heard about this cigar at all until the announcement in October that it was um, expanding oh, really? distribution. I didn't know about it. Huh. I thought Tradition was the first one released. Mm. Uh, so as you said, uh, the Family Reserve was released in 2015. The Tradition, which doesn't have the fire cured or the barrel aging, was released in 2017. Then 2019, uh, Family Reserve uh in both Robusto and Toro, go out to um, to Drew Diplomat retailers, and then they released a new size at the same time of the announcement in October um, of doing their their very very famous flying pig, flying pig version ver, uh, Vitola, which is the sixty ring gauge, I believe, short perfecto. Yeah, they have it listed here as three and fifteen sixteenths inches. Three and fifteen sixteen. So just just shy just, of four. Just, just one. Just get that extra sixteenth in there. <laughs> but it's uh, sixty ring gauge, right? It's sixty ring it gauge. Is, it's yeah. well, it, it's at its fattest. Right, is a right. sixty ring gauge. Right. Sure. Uh, and, uh, and just now that one will stay exclusive to the Pappy and Co. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes. Good point. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That one will be exclusive. You can get it there now. Right. And uh, the price point on those, they're twelve count boxes. They sell for uh, just over one ninety for a box of okay. twelve. And one thing I do want to just clarify, there is another size. There is a Churchill, a 7 by oh. 48 Churchill that we okay. left off. So the Robusto is 5 and a quarter by 52. Toro, which we're smoking, is 6 by 52. And then there's a 7 by 48 Churchill. Now, And those three are all at uh, Drew Diplomat. Correct. Retail. Those are all available um, through uh, Drew Diplomat stores. Again, not everyone's going to carry it, but... It's uh, you can go to your local shop now and potentially purchase it as opposed to only getting it through the Papico uh, website. And they all these these range uh, It's not a cheap cigar. 
These range from you know fourteen to sixteen dollars each, give or take, depending on uh, taxes and everything. Are gonna are gonna chime in there as well. It's uh, it's an interesting smoke. I smoked it when it first came out, and I haven't. And it was in the the uh, robusto size, and I haven't smoked it since. It is <clears throat> super smoky, in a good way. Uh, we thought about pairing this with uh, a smoked porter. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one company. Is it Alaskan? Mm-hmm. The Alaskan smoked porter. Uh, I couldn't find any of those, but I think that might have been overkill. I agree on the smoky side I of things. Agree. Yep. Although, I didn't realize this was as smoky as. Yeah, it. although I would, I would still uh, reach for uh, a whiskey, and just I mean, oh, obviously yeah. this is obviously blended to to pair with whiskey, just like the tradition also blended to prepare, to pair with whiskey. Uh, the tradition, oh, I don't have the specs on that one pulled up. I'll pull those up a little bit later and go over that. But uh, it's a really interesting smoke. The presentation is really nice. This band is is very. Uh, it's kind of what you'd expect when two uh, gigantic brands come together for something like this. Like Pappy Van Winkle, 150% of you know what it is. I don't know how many of you had, have drank it. Um, it's not the easiest thing, Randy, to get your hands on. It comes yeah. out every year. I believe right. it's released on Black Friday. And uh, Well, they have so many different lines. Of yeah. Van there's Winkle and uh, obviously. Yeah. I, I was really curious about the whole Pappy Van Winkle family reserve because um, I have seen some uh, photos on uh, social media recently where people had... Uh, and this label is the exact same label that you find on the bottle of um, of the family. Hey, smoking a cigar, uh, uh, whiskey, and so I was really curious as to how they differentiate. As a matter of fact, a, a little unknown uh, thing to the masses, and I don't know if anyone's ever picked up on it. Um, this studio that we uh, air from for A to Z, a flavor odyssey, uh, we call this uh, uh, Lot B. A cigar dojo studio lot B was actually a Van Winkle um, reference uh, so they, they have a line called lot B and that's where we came up with the namesake for um, the studio that we sit in today I think Jordan had something to do with that Jordan absolutely had yeah. everything to do with yeah because <laughs> <laughs> up until just now I didn't really know I knew Jordan had something to do with it I knew it was about whiskey but I didn't know yeah Eric and Jordan <laughs> are are pretty um, they like the whiskey. Uh, they they go in for the whiskey, and they've they've had a. Uh, I I think there's waves, ebbs and flows over the years, but they I know that they had several years where every year they consecutively uh, were able to pick up bottles of the of the Van Winkle <coughs> family, you know, of portfolio of whiskeys. I don't know if they focus specifically on the Lot B or the Family Reserve or what. I, I I believe they celebrate the man's entire catalog <laughs> well said well said. uh there's yeah there's a few different versions there's the old rip van winkle that's 10 year there's a van winkle special reserve and then you get into the family reserve uh there's a 15 a 20 which i have a bottle of the 20 and there's the 23 and then and there's the van winkle family family reserve rye i hear the rye is phenomenal see now it's funny you say that there's a family reserve rye because when i looked up what differentiates family reserve from the rest of the portfolio mm. It specifically said that the family reserve is based on the exclusive family weeded oh. whiskey um, uh, recipe. Weeted. Weed. Weeded. Weed. That, that's correct. And so in making sure that I had all my uh, I's dotted and cr- T's crossed for what is weeded whiskey. Um, so there's wheat whiskey, mm. which would be the majority of the recipe would be wheat um, and so that would say 51% um, at the minimum would have to be based on wheat. 
Um, a weeded whiskey is not a traditional wheat whiskey. It just means that a significant portion mm. doesn't necessarily hit that 51. And so the family reserve uh, from Van Winkle definitely is um, is less than 51, but it's a significant portion. And what they say is that that would typically replace uh, the more common rye addition um, where, you know, barley makes up or I'm sorry, corn makes up the um, the the base of the recipe. Then they add some grains. Usually that would be rye. Um, if it's a if it's a rye whiskey, it'd be fifty one percent or more rye. Yeah. A wheat, fifty one or more percent wheat. Um, so this would be uh, mostly corn and wheat whiskey um, for the family reserve. So it's interesting you say there's a rye version of yeah. the. Well, according to the uh, according to the website here, yeah, there is the the secondary market on this stuff is just nuts. insane. So, but just for example, the ruins it. a little bit, yeah. The the Pappy Van Winkle Family Reserve 15 year. The MSRP on that is 120 bucks. Reasonable which is, price. Yeah, kind of. I mean, it's it's on the higher end for sure. a lot of people. I mean, the sure. higher end for me, I don't like to spend that much money. Sure, but I wish but, pigs 90 bucks. Yeah, so I, it's I mean, it's kind of in in that vein. But it, these sell in the secondary market. The 15 year is like 1500 bucks, if not more than that. I actually listened to. Uh, a podcast called criminal and they would just be like quick 15, 30 minute episodes about different crimes, different levels of crimes. And there was one about uh, Pappy Van Winkle and they talked about the secondary market and technically that's illegal. Uh, but there was one of the anecdotes that they shared was there's this bar and I don't know where it was. And like every year you try, they try to get, you know, Pappy and I don't know how they, decide who gets what or whatever you probably have to buy x amount of this and that and the other thing and so this bar for years and years and years was trying to get it and finally they got one bottle after like 10 years let's say and so to celebrate they made jello shots out of it and sold them for like five bucks a shot As just like awful. a as just like a total middle finger to uh to the whole process That's and awesome. a, and apparently these this bar uh, was getting they were getting death threats and all kinds of stuff from people who take their their whiskey maybe a little too seriously. Uh, I just, that's a kind of a, kind of a fun story. Yeah. That's actually a pretty good podcast. I don't know if they still make it. It's called Criminal. It was they were just fun little thirty minute listens hmm. while you're sitting in traffic. But let's uh, we talked about the beer already. You want to talk about Sierra Nevada a little bit? I they're do. kind of they're kind of a big deal. They are. Yeah. So. Um, so, uh, real quick, let's talk about Sierra Nevada Porter. Um, this beer itself uh, comes in at 5.6% ABV, uh, 32 IBUs, and finishes quite dry. Um, the history of Porter's is um, an age-old tale coming from uh, the United Kingdom. Um, they have this great little blurb on Sierra Nevada's website. I can read it quote for quote, but um, but it talks to the history of the beer. It started um, with the ship porters uh, down on the docks. You know the blue collar, hardworking guys that were out there, you know, reeling in the the ships on on the docks. Um, you know, it's cold, it's wet. You need something a little bit more substantial um, than your your common uh, you know golden ale or pale colored uh, bitter. Would, would have been the, the most common beer of the time there in England. And uh, so this is uh, has some um, some darker roasted malts, a uh, black patent malt that's going to give that black, dark, coffee-like flavor. 
uh, to the beer. Um, uh, so black coffee and cocoa uh, characteristics it is the precursor to what eventually would become stouts. So there were no stouts before there were porters. Mm. Um, Porter was uh, an original style. And as uh, you know, time went on and uh, roasting uh, technology uh, advanced over time with the drum roller, uh, they were able to um, kind of clean up some of that technique and, and impart more um, big, dark, roasted characteristics um, that would eventually become the stout. Um, but Sierra Nevada, uh, you know, we, we talk about uh, making analogies and comparisons to the cigar industry and beer industry. And uh, Sierra Nevada was that first. I mean, when I was coming up in, in beer, all breweries sought to kind of follow the Sierra Nevada model. It was the craft brewery. Um, while Anchor um, it was is credited and Fitz Maytag owned Anchor for many years. Um, Anchor was kind of credited for being one of the first craft beers uh, but Sierra Nevada is really who did it in, in a way to make it more uh, widespread and more attention uh, to this smaller segment of craft beer uh, back then called microbrewed um, if you still call craft beer microbrew 1990 wants their word back it's just craft beer <laughs> and you're uh, old <laughs> yeah yeah stop it um, <laughs> just stop. no but uh, but a couple things I, I did want to point out from the history of Sierra Nevada uh, Ken Grossman the founder of Sierra Nevada opened a homebrew shop in Chico in 1976 um, and that's where his beginnings started was as a home brewer um, starting a homebrew shop and what's interesting um, and noteworthy about the year that he opened a homebrew shop in 1976 was uh, homebrewing wasn't made legal in America until 1978 uh, nice. so for two years he was literally <coughs> teaching classes and selling equipment and ingredients um, to do something illegal in your kitchen or garage which hmm. I just find kind of funny that yeah uh, I wonder that, how he did his taxes Ah, that's a good question. <laughs> that's a good question. Um, so in 1978, uh, homebrewing becomes legal. And in 1980, uh, Ken got his hands on a five-barrel uh, commercial brewery made up mostly of recycled and reused uh, uh, old dairy equipment hmm. and brewed his first batch of beer. And, uh, and so that was the inaugural um, run for Sierra Nevada. And that was a stout. That was Sierra Nevada. Stout was the first beer that they ever made. Later on that year, uh, he made pale ale, and obviously Sierra Nevada and pale ale is yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what uh, put them on the map. Um, but there was a couple other firsts that Sierra Nevada was uh, credited for. Um, I told you I wanted to point out that 1981, uh, he made Celebration Ale, which uh, was two firsts for the craft beer industry. It was the first seasonal beer. That was ever made. He's credited for um, celebration that comes out. It has those poinsettias on the. Uh, what did you call them? <laughs> Poinsettias. <laughs> that's that's a t-shirt. So. That that might be our. That's going to be our Christmas. Uh, our Christmas t-shirt next year. With just just covered in poinsettias. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so Celebration <laughs> Ale uh, was uh, uh, it, the first craft uh, seasonal release, and it was the first fresh hop beer. And I wanted to address that real quick just because it's such a uh, common question and, and misunderstanding that I hear from uh, beer drinkers. Uh, fresh hop and a wet hop beer are the exact same thing. Those are two terms that mean the same thing. And what it means is that the hops are taken off the vines and put directly into the beer uh, rather than the uh, drying and curing 
process that so hops would normally go through. Not the pelletized hops. They are not pelletized. That no. look like rabbit food. That's right. That's They don't uh, smell like it, but they look like it. Right. And that's the most stable way to uh, impart hops. Um, if you're a home brewer, if you ever got a chance to go to a home brew shop, you'll see hops uh, typically look um, like rabbit food. But, um, yeah, so a wet hop or a fresh hop beer means that you have to take it off the vines. You put it into the beer. Um, my thing with that is because it hasn't been dried uh, the drying process kind of basically concentrates a lot of those flavors mm. and the lupulin so you have to put in massive volume yeah. of these wet hops or these fresh hops and what you end up getting in my opinion is this chlorophyll characteristic mm. from all the vegetal um, vegetation and, and and plant matter uh, that necessitates getting um, you know the lupulin quantities that you need as well as the aromatics that you need. And so um, I'm I'm kind of a stickler on, I'm not a big wet hop or fresh hop fan personally. There are, people go crazy about them. If you go to the uh, Pack Northwest during harvest season, oh, yeah. and everybody's got five to ten uh, wet hop or fresh hop beers on, and it's just chlorophyll bombs, man. I, I think they're fun. <laughs> we did one uh, at Laughing Monk uh, this of past, um, what was that, October-ish, right? Yeah. So yeah, it was before my trip. So it was in October, and we did a a wet hop um, smash. It was just a single malt, single hop with strata hops. I'm a big fan of strata hops, and uh, it was they were uh, they were picked that morning, at like I guess about probably like six thirty in the morning, and uh, from Oregon. And by thank you, and by noon uh, they were already. In our hands, they got them on a plane to us. They were super, super fresh. It was a fun day to be there because it just smells like hops everywhere, and there's, you know, it's raining hops basically, and it's just, it's a lot of fun. The beer was great. I, the, with the chlorophyll aspect of things, you have a much better palate with that kind of thing than I do, so I wouldn't really notice it. Uh, I think placebo takes takes an impact there because I thought the beer was great, but it's just because it was there. I was there when we made it. It was fun. Oh sure. And I'm tasting it, it with the guys who made it. Yeah, uh, exactly. So yeah, that's that's interesting that they've you you think of Sierra Nevada and like so many so many firsts yeah from one company is is pretty impressive and really if you look at I guess maybe the trajectory of these of these two companies Drew Estate and uh, Sierra Nevada they mirror each other pretty strongly. That's and right. Yeah, you and I, I mean, blindly even if we weren't pairing these today, uh, we've talked about. Um, kind of the parallels of personalities and, and the people that have been uh, trendsetters and pioneers in these industries. Um, Jonathan Drew, uh, you know, taking, uh, you know, being a hustler with a little kiosk at the World Trade Center um, and turning it into what he did with the the Grand Fabrica uh, Drew Estate, uh, the largest um, fabrica there in Nicaragua, uh, is very much... Uh, linear and parallel to what Ken Grossman did in beer with Sierra Nevada and became that kind of like, um, you know, destination for smaller guys over the years to come. It's like, oh, you know, here's a guy that came from nothing and, and became the biggest. Mm. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think it created a lot of entrepreneurial efforts in their wake of people seeing that like that's a that's a possibility and I can chase that and how many great brands in both uh, craft beer and in premium tobacco have 
chased you know John Drew's dreams and yeah. said, well, if he could do it, why can't I? You know, have some some kind of stake like that, um, the same way that people have chased Sierra Nevada. Absolutely, they both change industries. You know, yeah. I mean, their no respective doubt. industries for sure. Yeah, no doubt. So, <clears throat> anything else on uh, Sierra Nevada? I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, not at all. I think I talked about the flavor of it. It's a. Uh, well, I, I know there's a whole long timeline. I'm looking at your notes over here. I just want to make sure yeah, no, that you yeah, got yeah, touched yeah. on all that. Okay, yeah, I touched on what I. What, I've, I've never been up to their. Uh, oh, I've never been not? up there. Yeah. Oh. They are. They are the both buildings now. So the Chico building. The first time I ever went up there, I was uh, I was judging a homebrew competition. And you go, you go in the bathrooms. So they have this um, this German Wait copper a second. clad. The first thing you're going to tell me about is their bathrooms. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but they have this copper clad, uh, these huge copper clad kettles with these beautiful uh, flues going up through their roof. But it's like a 40 foot roof, so it's these huge copper tubes going up. But when you go into their bathrooms, all their sinks are copper clad. So they matched the brew house. So that was pretty dope. And they've got like little Sierra Nevada tiles custom made in, in set in the bathroom. They're really nice. Uh, they also have a music venue that's made of like all mahogany. Like the whole dang room is made of mahogany. It's, you know, um, it's also like a big brewery and they make a lot of beer, but the bathrooms are great. <laughs> I they love were it. impressive bathrooms. That music playing. It was very, very I want to go up there just to pee now. <laughs> Got to do it. No, I've never been, and I've heard their Oktoberfest is good. Oh, their Oktoberfest? It's one of the best. So the thing about that is um, is it's a different beer every year. So No, no, their, their Oktoberfest, like they have their Oktoberfest. Oh, party. Their party. Oh, there. the event. Not, yes. not their beer specifically. Yeah. But their beers are always great for Oktoberfest. That's one of their best seasonal releases <clears throat> after the Celebration Ale. Um, but and that recipe changes every year, and they do uh, collaborations with German brewers, so they really like work hard to bring that German classic uh, yeah, flavor that's cool. component to it. That's cool. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, it's it's funny because the first time you go in there, and as well known as Sierra Nevada and their portfolio of beers are, um, you could probably name five to six that you've drank um, and found with regularity over your drinking life. You go up there, and there's. 30 Sierra yeah. Nevada beers and there's all these beers you didn't know they made like oh I didn't know they had a a crystal wheat or a um you know their barley wine uh, Bigfoot is is a classic but they've got um, a small beer uh, that comes after that and I've always liked the narwhal oh the narwhal imperial stout is fantastic yeah. I love that one and there's they do barrel aged versions of that or at least I've, I've seen yep. a couple of them yep. I don't know if they still do mm-hmm. they have a tap room in Berkeley they do they've never do. been the there Torpedo. either really why have I not gone to these places I don't know it's like 10 it's miles from where we're sitting right yeah. now what the hell that's just crazy <laughs> and then they opened a second location in 2015 in um, the same year this cigar came out uh, they opened in Mills River North Carolina out by our good friend Cigar Coop um, and so uh, Mills River is uh, like a uh, uh Suburban off of uh, it's uh, right next to Asheville. Mm. Asheville's a big deal. A lot of beer up in Asheville. Yeah, they, they, well, they uh, they changed some regulations to give tax breaks to breweries to open there. Mm. So, so they very specifically like changed their laws to draw in breweries. So, in like within an 18 month period, Sierra Nevada, New Belgium, and Oscar Blues all opened big uh, East Coast. Production sites there, and that's perfect if you're uh, a wet like you're producing your beer in the west, not on the west coast necessarily, but on the the, the left side of the country, right. you can brew over there, and that opens up the opportunity to shipping internationally. And there's there's a lot uh, a lot of reasons to be there. Exactly, that was a good move by Asheville to say yep. you guys don't want to come over here. 
Come here. Yeah, and it's a beautiful. We have cookies. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they they have um, they have the right water for brewing, which is really important. And um, it's a beautiful, beautiful area. And culturally, it's um, you know, especially for Sierra Nevada, it's um, it's very similar to the kind of granola uh, kind of lifestyle of uh, Chico or you said Berkeley. that with some disdain. Hey, it's it's lifestyle. Randy, <laughs> are you going to get political on the show? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> damn uh, hippies. So, uh, so five point six percent. This is a pretty easy drinking, uh, very dry beer. Uh, you know, it has a finishing gravity of three and a half Play-Doh, which is um, a lot lighter than you might think of a color of a beer with this color. Um, so, I think the uh, the coffee and um, and kind of darker flavors uh, that are coming from that. Are somewhat restrained. Yeah, it's, the, it's the body like on this. Rich yeah, beer. the body on this is is definitely on the thinner side for Correct. me. Correct. Yeah. Uh, in comparison to another kind of staple porter that we had earlier in the show from Anchor, that one was that had a, a thicker mouthfeel to me. It was a bit sweeter. Uh, so the same style, mm-hmm. American porter, right? Right. But very different takes, really. Absolutely. Which is kind of interesting how you can have. When you get into those uh, <clears throat> style guidelines, are very specific, and you can. There's still a lot of leeway to play around with uh, with the different styles. The yeah, the beers. It's a little bit thin uh, for me. I've had this beer before. With the pairing, I don't know that the intensity. I mean, we haven't really. We we can jump into the pairing, I guess. Let's it's, let's do that. We haven't gotten there yet. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like the intensity, Randy, is a bit of a miss. Mm-hmm. How do what do you think? I feel like this. This, uh, I'll, I'll expound on that. Please. I feel like the uh, the body on the cigar is full. Yeah. It's it's up there. There's a lot of flavor. The the smoke in true Drew Estate fashion, super thick. Uh, my I've let my cigar go out, which is why there's not plumes of smoke coming from it. But these are very smoky cigars, and uh, the that smoke thick coats your palate. This beer to me is like uh shooting a bb gun at a freight train yeah it's uh it's just not getting it done yeah no okay so so we do t- always start uh the discussion of pairing with intensity yep and i jumped the gun but go ahead no no no. that it was perfect timing oh thank you um and so intensity wise i agree with you entirely this is a full-bodied cigar um the uh intensity of the of the flavor of the cigar is um, is quite full um, in, in addition to the body because um, as we've said and it is smoky it is it is a very strong smoke character um, and, and flavor uh, in my opinion uh, that somewhat masks some of the uh, sweeter chocolatey characteristics that I would have expected from a San Andreas wrapper mm. Um even though it's uh, a wrapper that's bound underneath another wrapper. Um, I don't know how they differentiate because I've seen double binder and double wrapper. I mean, what's what's the difference? There's, It's wrapped three times. I mean, who's to say which is a binder and which is a wrapper? But in any event, um, <laughs> the uh, it's actually an interesting question. I've never thought about it. Yeah. Uh, I think I would probably, it's just you're talking about the quality of the leaf. Right. And the primings. Right. Mainly. So, so they use wrapper quality yeah. for that middle one versus a double binder would be binder quality. 
that's I guess in my I've never really thought about it, yeah. but in my head that's how I've always thought about it. Yeah, no, that's, we should, that or, that makes okay. sense. I just said I've never thought about it, and that's how I've always thought about it. Weird, right? <laughs> <laughs> I've never really thought about it, but I think in my head I just assumed that was the that was the main yeah, difference. No, no, it must be. It's so yeah. I guess to say it's double wrapper would be that we've wrapped this in two premium quality uh, leaves rather than the binder, which is a lower lower quality. Yeah. Um, one thing I would visually. Yeah. One thing I would say though, usually a double wrapper, not always, is you're doubling down on something. It's a double Maduro wrapper. In this case, these two wrappers serve very different purposes, in my opinion. Certainly. So it's a, it's a different take on a double wrapper. I don't know what that really means, but that's just, in my mind, that makes a bit of a difference. These, these yeah, two wrappers are, are designed to impart a different type of experience. Right. I would say that uh, because San Andreas is known for being sweet, and chocolatey, maybe it is to temper the smokiness exactly. of that. I was Kentucky. just going to say the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say the same thing. So, so that being said, though, so well, well, the the body and the intensity are a bit of a miss um, as far as being uh, similar to each other. I also think that, well, I guess you could go either way. The sweetness is going to do one of two things. If we had, say, for instance, paired this with the Anchor Porter, which is sweeter. Um, the sweetness to me would it would likely leave that smokiness to um, resonate in the palate more as the sweeter beer is going to linger on the palate and kind of leave that sweeter residue. I feel like the smoke would kind of adhere to that and stay on the palate more. So for me, um, now they both do have like a coffee, uh, you know, roast character um, in flavor. So I, I, I could like you know feign to a to a flavor hook i actually think i prefer the lighter waterier low you know less body beer because it's somewhat rinsing the palate of the smokiness of the cigar while leaving some lingering coffee notes so i don't hate it yeah no i, I hear you <clears throat> it's it's acting as a palate cleanser and to me that means it's not a good pairing because the, it's, it, it may be elevating the cigar in a way, which given the, um, given the two things that we're pairing here, this is kind of a basic beer and this is not a basic cigar. Yeah. So if, if the beer does elevate the cigar, I'm cool with that. Yep. But I want them to, you know, to be a bit more elevate hand in hand. Yeah, to elevate each other a bit. We, we stayed away from doing anything barrel aged. Yeah, there's a good look. Um, not that good of a look. Well, you get an idea. Yeah. So that uh, so for those of you listening, tuning in on the podcast, and, and thank you for tuning in. Uh, Randy just took the the band off, and so you can see where the two uh, the two wrappers do come together. So that there's about what about two inches above yeah, the uh, above the uh, San Andreas wrapper that is that is kind of left open to uh, expose the primary wrapper, which is the um, the Perique, the Perique style uh, age or barrel aged fire cured, fire cured. Kentucky. There's a whole lot going on. <laughs> and I'll be honest, when we first lit up this cigar, I, I didn't really like it. Okay. It was it, it, the the smokiness. Um, <clears throat> I was told that the 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 
the fire cured aspect of this is toned down. And in comparison to something that features fire cured tobacco, it is. But it's still very, very present. Very much. The the more I smoke this cigar, and maybe it's my palate's getting used to it, it does smooth out a bit. I really, 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 and maybe this is placebo, but I don't think so. I really want whiskey with this cigar. I think pairing it with a beer is not really what it's designed for. Mm. Now, we talked about doing barrel-aged. I don't think that that would have worked any better. I almost wonder if we would have gone in the total opposite end and done like a Pilsner, Hmm. if that would have been a bit more, which also starts with P, would have been maybe a little bit better. I don't know. I'd be curious. But I I can tell you that this, well, I can't tell you for for certain, maybe after tomorrow I can, that this is really going to pair well with some whiskey. Yeah, I am excited about, uh, so I'm with you. I thought the smokiness was a bit overpowering uh, up front. And uh, the same way that I've felt about Rauk beers, smoked mm. uh, beers. And I'm really glad we didn't do that. Yeah, no, that, that, that would have been a disaster. Um, but it's the same way there, where you know, if you have one of those like classic German Rauk beers, the smoked uh, black porters, um, it's it it'll kick you in the butt, you know, on the first sip. And as you drink it, your palate does become acclimated sure. to it, and so it does tone down. It's not quite as assertive. Uh, after you had a bit, I, I feel like the I I uh, completely agree with you that this cigar has um, mellowed on that smokiness. It's not quite as assertive as it was earlier on. Uh, and I actually picked up a whole box of these, and I am looking forward to trying this uh, several more times with a pilsner, with a scotch, with a whiskey, um, and see kind of uh, what other flavors are brought out um, with different uh, pairings. Mm. Yeah, and the band on these, is, I was just looking at the band that Randy took off his cigar. The band is really, really nice. Oh. It's just it's just super, super classy. I mean, it's basically the, it's the Pappy Van Winkle Family Reserve label with a bit of a Drew Estate flair. Um, I don't know what the three keys mean. Do you? I don't. I think Where that's the Van Winkle. Is it? Like, uh, uh, I don't know. Logo, though. Oh, yeah, maybe, on their website. maybe that's what it is. It's got something to do with... Uh, Does it make a V and a W out of keys? No, you have to unlock the doors to... Uh, to, to get the good stuff. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, they keep it under lock and key. I don't know. It's lame, but that's all I got. We can move on. So I think I'm ready, Randy, to uh, to give my verdict. Go uh, right ahead, I'm going to go thumbs down on I, the pairing. I will... Mm. I enjoy each okay. of the components individually. The, the, beer is, the beer is fine. It is what it is. It's a nice, uh, approachable porter. You can find it just about anywhere. Apparently, uh, sorry, Patrick, you can't find it in Wyoming, but you can find it. <laughs> he he uh, texted me during the show. Patrick always reaches out in advance to find out what's the pairing if it's not posted on the website. And those will be posted on the website. Yeah, Randy, that's, yeah, that's, that's going to happen. My fault, yes. That's Jordan. Right. I, I just threw you under the bus for no yeah. reason, and you totally took it. I no, no. That. Jordan's already giving me a hard time about it. You're I don't listen to him. About. All right, so I am going to vote. Um, I'll oh, we're it. doing that thing again. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to yeah. say thumbs down. I also will say thumbs down. Yeah. You know, Rob got a thumb sideways early in the season. I kind of feel like I have one coming. I'd go thumb sideways. I don't. It's not a bad pairing. It doesn't. Uh, they don't detract from each other. Um, I hear what you're saying that it doesn't necessarily. Oh, they, they definitely like do bring. detract from each other. I think so. This beer is getting run over big time. 
Sure. There's there's coffee notes in there. There's some sweetness that, in there. That I'm not we don't getting, taste at all. I'm not You're getting right, any bro. of it. Okay, so this, thumbs down. Yeah. Well, <laughs> two, two thumbs down. <laughs> Look at that influence. Okay, so um, moving on, we do need to talk a little bit. It is an exciting time of year. We uh, live in exciting times. We do, and I'm an excitable person, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something about get this. get fired up, Randy. Do it. <laughs> before you, you go into your piece, um, it is that time of year where uh, lists are coming out of the woodwork. People we've never heard of that review cigars are uh, you know, posting their top 10, top 25. Hell, Coop does a top 30. I've got to ask him sometime where 30 came from. Well, got to be different. Just, just to be different. Full month of, that's uh, oh. a full month of coverage right he there. do it each and every day. Yeah. Any, uh-huh. In any event, in any event, uh, Cigar of the Year lists are abound at this time of year. And it's an exciting time for me. I spend way, way too much money because I don't care if I've never heard of you. If you give something a top five, I'm curious. If I hadn't had it, I'm, I'm more likely to go out and, and pick it up. Uh, obviously, um, uh, it is... I heard Cigar Authority say the other day that they were the first ever to do a uh, Cigar of the Year. I, I'm, I'm going to have to fact check Mr. Garofalo over there. But um, but obviously the um, Cigar Aficionado is the big list as as that's the one that um, people that aren't like us, you know, just your normal common uh, cigar smokers. <laughs> people who are normal. Yeah, yeah. Not Com- like us. Commoners. <laughs> uh, they're, they're out there and they're making their buying decisions um, uh, often based on uh, cigars, whether they've seen them before or not, or just reminded of an old cigar, uh, Cigar Aficionado comes out with theirs. Theirs is kind of unlike most any other, as they um, will, it doesn't matter when the cigar was released, it doesn't matter how long it's been on the market, if they smoked it and reviewed it, it will be um, in contention, uh, hence Padron. Uh, cigars that have been on the market for a decade have been on the top in the top ten of that top twenty-five list for the last decade. It doesn't matter if it's Maduro or natural, and they don't even they don't even specify. Just um, but uh, but well, cigar aficionado like kind of ha- has been the big lead. You know, a lot of these cigar lists from the smaller uh, sources. I feel like people like us, uh, kind of the cigar geeks of the world, um, are following the smaller lists. Um, and Cigar Dojo, which is a review site, uh, does uh, their own version. I really like the way Cigar Dojo does it. Obviously, I have some biases, but I really do enjoy that they keep it a top 10. And then uh, that top 10 is um, only full release, regular production cigars. And then separately for limited releases, um, they have a top five. Um, they also do the calendar year. Uh, for the qualifications for that, uh, for both of those lists, um, then there's some other um, honors that come out: um, a brand of the year, a factory of the year, um, under the radar, under the radar cigar of the year, and so all the cigars that are you're going to find on the cigar dojo list are going to be um, released within the calendar year of 2019, and we are very excited that uh, that will be coming up this Friday. On Smoke Night Live, we'll be doing the Cigar of the Year release. Is that correct? It is on, pardon me, the 17th, right? Friday the 17th. Okay, so that's not this Friday. It's next Friday. But uh, on the website... It starts, uh, the uh, starts Wednesday will. on the 8th, which 
is today. Yeah. yeah it's today. Right. So uh, check the website, cigardojo.com. Uh, we'll be starting to release a countdown uh, as we move towards the final announcement on the 17th of the Cigar of the Year and the uh, limited Cigar of the Year as well. Absolutely. Is that it? Yeah, you just got excited. Sorry. No, you got fired kinda, up. Kinda I like jumped it. On it. There's, there, there are a lot of lists, and, and I think, you know, some people get upset that, you know, Joe Bob's website, and I don't know why I called him Joe Bob, but whatever, <laughs> uh, he reviewed, you know, five cigars that year, and, and now he's got his top ten or whatever. I, I don't know. Whatever. If the Internet's a, it's a free place to post your information, you can choose a reader to choose not to. I don't really care. Um but yeah, I think the the dojo does a good job. Coop does a good job. There's the uh, the consensus um, that uh, Half Wheel does mm-hmm. is it's not their list. It's you know they kind of they have their formula that takes mm-hmm. into consideration everything from Joe Bob to you know Coop and and um, and Cigar Dojo and everybody in between and mm-hmm. and all that. So and they, I, I think last year it was 28 different lists <coughs> that they combined. And yeah. So they that's a lot of work. That's a ton of work. Yeah, uh, that one I think gives you more of a, a mean of what everybody's uh, like. Sure, but I mean, for me, I figure if you're putting together a list, you put a lot of thought into um, and a lot of passion into the cigars that you smoked, and uh, you really want to call someone out as, as someone that um, really you know stood out to you from from everything else sure. that came out. And everyone's got different palates, and so you know a cigar that I absolutely love. Rob only thinks is mediocre. Aaron thinks is crap. Uh, so, um, uh, you, you know, it, it doesn't, it isn't the end all be all, but I want to try the cigars that, you know, really moved somebody to say, hey, this was a top five or number one cigar for me. So. Sure. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I think, uh, <clears throat> no, and I'm curious to see uh, what comes out on the dojo list. Uh, I actually didn't, uh, I didn't contribute to the dojo list this year because. You're a Grinch? No, it's got nothing to do with that. <laughs> I, I, I started, well, when the year started, I was uh, still working for a manufacturer. Right. Um, when, uh, and I didn't really get, you know, really up and going with the dojo until, you know, mid-year. And right. so there's a lot of stuff on the list that, that I actually haven't gotten around to smoking yet. So uh, next, it, 2020 will be different. You know, it's, uh, I'm uh, more heavily involved at this point and, and um, will make it uh, a, a more of a year. It's because it's, that's a lot of work to get in and smoke all these different cigars. And so I, I give kudos to anybody who does that and yep. takes the time to, Agreed. you know, do a write up and <clears throat> take pictures and do all that stuff. It's a lot of work. I've done it before on my own website, and yep. it's it's a lot of work. So uh, kudos to everybody who does it. But yeah, I didn't. Uh, I know you uh, you shared your opinions, Randy. You I were did. I, I I gave votes. I don't know if they'll count. <laughs> um, that's going to be up to Eric They're and George. Votes. They're <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Votes. I I think uh, some of they'll, they'll probably scratch my number ten and my number one. And only look at the ones in between, mm-hmm. probably. So that's yeah. that's one thing that's cool about the dojo is it is a team, mm-hmm. uh, it is a team process. It's not just uh, one guy picking these. Oh, and, absolutely. And not yeah. to take anything away from one guy doing it. It's just that's one thing that I think is really cool about the dojo. And one of the things, one of the reasons I was really excited to join uh, the dojo family is because um, the it's more than just doing reviews of cigars. I mean, there's a lot more involved in, uh, in what happens here on the dojo, like the show, for example, and, um, <clears throat> and, and things of that nature. So, uh, on that note, uh, look for that starting on the eighth and, uh, through the 17th will be the, the final reveal on smoke night live. And what else you got anything else? 
That's it for me, pal. That's uh, all right. I guess that's it for me too. Then all right. So we got uh, Randy did thumbs sideways, right? <laughs> or no, you did thumbs. <laughs> I, I talked did to thumbs down. I talked into thumbs down. So again, thanks for checking out another episode. Appreciate you guys uh, and gals tuning in and supporting the show. And we'll see you all next week with episode Q. Q comes after P, right? Yeah. But, right. Do we know the cigar for Q? We do. It is the. Ooh, do we? Yeah, we do. It is. We're going to decide we, right now. It is we, the. We know that we're doing the Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust Mi Carida. Tricky Traca. And we're going to do a Tricky Traca. We're doing the Tricky Traca. The 48 or the 52. Yes. Whatever. There's oh, I say 48. You want to do the Corona Gorda? Yeah. yeah. All right. So it is official. It is in the annals of time. We will be doing the Mi Carida Tricky Traca and Corona Gorda. We will be pairing it, Randy, with yes. any beer that we deem to be. Quaffable. Ooh, well done. I love that word. Good call back to last. I week. love I that like word. That. Uh, no, we we have a beer, don't we? I don't know. Should we I we forget? did this a couple weeks ago. So anyway, uh, the Mikarita Tricky Traca is uh, is the cigar for Q. We'll get the beer posted pretty soon. I think it is already on the list, but I don't have it in front of me. So yep. my bad. Uh, anyway, thanks again for tuning in. We'll catch you guys next week as the Odyssey continues. Thank you.